0: We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Evelyn and Kalada and Min Sook Lee. Every year, hundreds of thousands of people, mostly working-class people of color from the Global South, come to Canada as migrant workers to do various sorts of hard, low-paying, low-status work. There are a number of different programs through which this is organized, from the 50-year-old seasonal agricultural worker program to the temporary foreign worker program which has mushroomed in the last 15 years, but across the board, migrant workers face intense restrictions on basic rights that would be unimaginable for workers with Canadian citizenship, and this restriction of their rights by the Canadian state makes them highly vulnerable to and exploitable by employers. Evelyn Encalada is a co-founder of and organizer with Justice for Migrant Workers, an Ontario-based group that has organized with migrant workers in the agricultural sector for more than a decade and a half. Their work runs the gamut from providing acute support to individual workers in moments of crisis, to the long, quiet process of building the relationships that are the basis for exerting collective power, to mobilizing migrant workers and the broader public in visible efforts to push for change. Min Sook Lee is a longtime activist and a multiple award winning filmmaker. Lee's first documentary about the struggles of migrant workers, the Gemini nominated El Contrato, was made in collaboration with Justice for Migrant Workers and was released in 2003. In 2013, she approached Encalada again, this time with an interest in making a feature length documentary about the lives of women working in Canada as migrant agricultural workers. This latest film is called Migrant Dreams, and it follows the struggles of a group of Indonesian migrant workers living in southern Ontario and fighting back against the lies, coercion, and exploitation they face at the hands of recruiters and employers. It shows the deplorable conditions faced by migrant workers, and it shows the determination and the complexity of these workers as they take action to survive and to resist. The world premiere of Migrant Dreams is on May 1st, 2016 at the Hot Docs International Film Festival in Toronto. Encolada and Lee speak with me about organizing with migrant workers, filmmaking, and the relationship between the two, and about migrant dreams. We spoke by Skype to phone from Toronto.
1: My name is Evelyn Encolada, and I'm an organizer and one of the founders of Justice for Migrant Workers, J4MW. We're a collective that has been working with farm workers for over 15 years now in Canada's most precarious of temporary foreign worker programs and also workers who find themselves without status in rural Ontario. And right now, the flagship guest worker program, which is the Seasonal agricultural Workers Program, is turning 50 years old. So it's been 50 years that Canada has brought in workers from the global south, principally Mexico and the Caribbean, to work in farms to harvest the food that we consume every single day. But during all of this time, they have had to contend with living in a parallel universe with limited rights. They are workers that become virtually stateless in Canada because they cannot assert their human rights.
2: My name is Vincent Lee, and I'm a documentary filmmaker. I've just finished Making Migrant Dreams, which is a feature documentary that tells the story about a group of women in the temporary foreign worker program who are low-wage migrant workers, who have chosen different paths of fighting back against the program itself and the ways in which the program constricts their freedoms and their ability to speak for their labor and human rights. I started making the documentary, working through and with Justice for Migrant Workers with This documentary is the second that I've made about workers in Canada's migrant labor programs. The first one was made in 2000, and that was also with Justicia.
1: The agricultural industry has argued that there's a huge shortage of labor for agriculture. And so, throughout history, different types of schemes have been used to bound workers to the industry. And this has been through the most marginalized of our society, including, you know, prisoners, orphans. And since 1960s, Canada started the seasonal cultural workers program as a response to the lobbying efforts from the agricultural industry, primarily here in Ontario, to bring in farmers and farm workers from the Caribbean. But never was there an intention of bringing in workers along with their families. All of this was supposed to be on a seasonal basis, on a temporary basis, and they were not seen as potential citizens of Canada or wanted citizens of Canada because the fear was racial unrest in predominantly white rural communities. So from the get-go, this program and similar programs have been built on also racist exclusionary ideas of who belongs in Canada and who doesn't. And it also corresponds to an idea of which bodies can do what work, So there's race and class completely embedded in these programs. There's been workers that have been coming here since the 60s who the most productive aspect of their lives they've given to this country, but they cannot claim status. And the agricultural industry keeps on lobbying for these programs to expand, but never have the growers called for a reformation of the immigration policy, where we bring in full human beings, not just workers, but workers with their families.
2: Today's modern-day market worker programs are very much an extension of labor programs that Canada has had in operation in the past. And they have all have similar ideas of racially constructing and constructing by a class what a Canadian citizen should look like, who deserves citizenship, and the manufacturing of Canada's demographic. Meaning, if you look back into Canada's history, our country has created labor programs that restrict entry, um, pathways to citizenship, and define workers as temporary according to industry's needs. So stories of Chinese railroad workers who worked to complete the CN rails, for example. And I think today, rightly so, Canadians in general see that as part of Canada's shameful history. But what's not recognized is that kind of shameful practice is perpetuated in the modern-day configurations of migrant labor programs today.
1: Migrant farm workers or migrant workers, temporary farm workers in general, are bound to just one employer. The permission that they have to be here in Canada is all tied to one particular contract with a particular Canadian employer. So the employer not only is the actual employer, the boss, but also the de facto and very real immigration officer that determines who comes back and who gets to leave. So workers can lose their jobs for arbitrary reasons. There's no appeal process, but losing your job, you don't just lose your job. You also get sent home. Either automatically or left in limbo without any work permit and you can't work anywhere else. But being a temporary foreign worker means that they cannot access welfare and many community centers or shelters. They would be completely excluded from that. So they have basically no social safety net. So when you're done work, you are still beholden to your employer. They control every aspect of your life. Because most of the time, workers have to live in the property of the employers, so they really don't have any time off. They're always being policed. Women have been deported because of them getting pregnant. So all of these programs, they basically violate all human rights legislation that we think that Canada has.
2: The program has in many ways been discussed as a form of modern-day labor apartheid, which is organized and managed by the state for the benefit of employers and industry. And I think when you look at the vulnerability of the workers, it's important to define that vulnerability is not essentially because they are vulnerable people or that's a trait of theirs, but the program constructs the workers' vulnerabilities. The rules and regulations of the program construct the vulnerability. Understanding the undue power that employers exert over workers' lives, not just at the work site, but in their living conditions, you know, access to your medical care, even being able to drive to uh, medical clinics. When you get sick, you don't think that you'd have to ask your employer for the ride for, to give you permission to go see a doctor. Very intimate details and parts of migrant workers' lives are controlled by employers, and that's deeply disturbing, which is why many people also look at these programs as a form of modern-day indentured laborship.
1: We've had to be very innovative with our organizing because, you know, workers, if they, you know, assert their rights, that will most likely mean that they get deported or they lose their work. We've had to find a way how workers can express their own voices in a way that is not going to get them deported. So we've had to be creative by using bandanas so workers can cover their faces when they have taken to the streets. So we have in the past walked from Leamington, Ontario to Windsor. So we've done actions like that. We work in a multi-pronged approach as well. We also have taken to the law. We've been part of human rights tribunal cases where we've intervened. We have to keep on organizing and building power and building unity among migrant workers. That's one of our central things, is that we see with these programs that workers are used against one another. There's divide and conquer. So the employers will say, oh, the Jamaicans are working harder than you. They will say that to the Mexicans, and then they'll say that vice versa to different workers. And that way divide and keep the workforce competitive among each other. But then we see that operating nationally we see that operating within the mainstream discourse of temporary foreign workers are taking our jobs so we counter all of that and remind people that we're the same people so that's one of the things that we do is we raise awareness but over the years of course we have seen that we can raise awareness all that we want but it's not going to get everybody to the same place there are still going to be people that say you know they should go back to where they come from and so that's what we have to challenge forcefully and really think about how Canada became a nation There was a time when Canada brought in European farmers who were given, you know, First Nations lands and status, and now people that work the land, people that look like us from the global south, they're not even given status, never mind land. So we have to constantly educate the public and organize and counter those divides. So we've also looked at different organizing models from export processing zones and maquila zones. We've adapted that to rural Ontario We've had to really be creative along the way to make sure that workers' voices are heard. And that's where also working with Minsook and collaborating on documentaries has been super important to our work. Because our job as organizers is not to speak for workers because they have their own voice. So how can we create the space, the safety for them to tell of their own stories
0: And Min Sook, how did you end up becoming involved in making films about this set of experiences and this set of struggles?
2: Well, I was invited. Back in the year 2000, Chris Ramsarup was organizing a fact-finding bus for media workers, journalists and activists to go to Leamington, Ontario. There had been a wildcat strike in Leamington and he wanted to raise awareness about migrant workers fighting back and advocating for their rights and also to build a solidarity movement. And so I was invited onto this bus. When I went to Lington for the first time, I was quite struck by the sheer number of agricultural migrant workers who had a sundry of questions. There were so many concerns, and I realized that this was a dirty secret in our own backyard that is not spoken about, that is very much actively silenced and censored by those whose profits are at stake. And as a filmmaker and as an activist who's been involved in social justice movements and communities for much of my life, I knew this was a story that was very important to engage with and tell. That was back in 2000. And in 2000, I made a documentary with the National Film Board of Canada called El Contrato, and that featured stories of Mexican men in a seasonal agricultural worker program. And many of those workers took great risks to participate in the documentary because they felt that it was important for these stories to come out, and they believed in the power of media to speak truth. And they also believed in the effectiveness of organizing Since El Trotto was released, I started wanting to revisit the story in contemporary times, knowing that since about 2003-2004, temporary foreign worker programs has expanded exponentially. And this is, I would characterize it as the privatization of migrant labor programs in our country, and it does reflect neoliberal global economic practices. Employers oftentimes use private recruiters who are largely unlicensed and unregulated to bring workers into the job site. And recruiters are charging, recruitment fees as large as 14000 in some cases to workers to have the privilege of working in minimum wage jobs in Canada. So it was that the situation has grown largely with very little public discussion or discourse or examination. And when the temporary foreign worker program has come into broad mainstream media headlines, it's in this discourse of us versus them, pitting migrant workers against Canadian citizens and framing them as coming into this country and stealing jobs. And I think that divine and rural tactic is quite strategic for corporate interests because the majority of workers in Toronto, for example, are part-time contract workers who are living in great precarity. So we have more in common with migrant workers when you see the broader economic reality than to be seeing them as competitors. So in 2013, Evelyn and I started talking about doing a feature documentary about the lives of women workers in Canada's migrant labor programs. We started visiting farms together. Evelyn introduced me to women woman she has been working with for 12, 13 years that she has developed deep bonds with. A woman who trusted Evelyn and trusted Justice for migrant Workers, and that trust was transferred to me. And I think as a filmmaker, part of the approach to spending time with people whose stories you are looking to tell a part of, it's really important that that trust is there. And I was very gratified that I was able to secure that trust that enabled me to spend time with workers in a meaningful way and an authentic and engaged way. And a lot of the times in the production phase of Making Magnet Dreams, I really wasn't shooting. I was hanging out with workers or going with Evelyn to, I don't know, birthday parties, going to medical clinics when workers needed drives to the clinic or, you know, spending time with workers, just getting to know them, but also that they would get to know me and understand who this other person was on the other side of the lens who came in wanting to tell part of their story and negotiating the kind of consent, which is a process of trust and sharing. A lot of the shooting process was about relationship building and about talking about the intentions of the film, the agenda, I guess, being very transparent about my agenda, which is to shine light on stories that are largely hidden in mainstream media but also to create avenues for workers to speak from themselves and to represent their own stories and to counter ways in which media construction of migrant workers is so problematic. Migrant workers, when they are in mainstream media, are often essentialized as victims who need the help of well-meaning Canadians. And taking away that agency from them is very disempowering. It's part and parcel of the structure of this program itself. But it's also really dehumanizing. And I think when media dehumanizes people, and represents people as static or noble stereotypes, when people are perceived in this way and their stories are told in this one-dimensional flat way where we can dismiss them and not see them in their full human capacities, then it's easier to do injustice to them or to dismiss the injustice or turn our heads away. So part of the process of Making Migrant Dreams was to commit to a process which was about the whole complexity of people's stories with contradictions and unknowabilities and multiple layers so that people come across as someone human as opposed to cardboard stereotypes.
0: And what are some of the key elements of these experiences and struggles that you succeeded in capturing in Migrant Dreams?
2: When workers come into Canada's migrant labor program, it's very soon evident to them that they're being ripped off, that they're not being treated properly, and they have very little agency to speak for their basic labor and human rights. During the filming process, we were able to document workers who were resisting, fighting back, These are mostly women who have the intellectual, spiritual, emotional capacity to resist and be defiant in a system that defines them as disposable labor units, in a system that's designed to dehumanize them and strip them of ideas that they can fight back. And I think a large part of resistance is about formulating the spirit of resistance in your mind and your heart and believing that you have the agency to do that. But the ways in which the program operates and controls workers' freedom isolates workers and denies them information about basic ways in which their rights are being, first of all, taken away, but basic ways in which they can fight back for their rights. What I saw were women who had the spirit and the power to fight back and negotiate that despite all of the broader systemic design of Canada's labor programs, This program defines workers as temporary This concept of temporary is very much important to the state and to the industries that use these programs. When, in fact, the labor shortage is chronic, these workers are needed constantly. There's no season in agriculture largely anymore because we're looking at factory farming and they operate 12 months of the year and they go 24-7. The workers are needed constantly and yet they're cycled in and out as disposable bodies. And part of the reason they are, I think, is that they're not wanted as citizens. They're not deemed as appropriate material for Canadian citizenship. I think part of the other reason is that it fits the interest of the industry to have a workforce that doesn't have the structural basis for fighting back.
0: Based on the experiences that the two of you have had in making El Condrato and in making Migrant Dreams... Talk to me about the relationship between filmmaking and other forms of media production and struggles for social justice. How do they relate? How can they relate?
2: It's a negotiated relationship. As someone who looks at what I do with a political lens, I often think about how the choices I make cannot be informed by my individual decisions but need to be checked with collective, broad-based community choices, meaning I don't think filmmakers can work in isolation. I don't believe I I can work in isolation. It was really important for me in the process of making migrant Dreams to constantly think through how the filmmaking process worked in tandem or sometimes in obstruction to the goals of justice for migrant workers and activists who were organizing on the ground and recognizing there are tensions and then there are synergies You know, there were moments when I would want to film a certain meeting and Chris Ransdrew would say, no, this is not a safe meeting to film. And I'd have to shut down my filmmaking hunger to capture what I thought was a very dramatic scene, recognizing the bigger picture of the struggle for building migrant workers' relationships with the activists, building confidence, and building a sense of a safe place of organizing was much more important than a scene in a film. So reprioritizing the choices that you make within the bigger picture of working with a movement, I think really is important
1: as an approach towards the filmmaking that I did. I think that filmmaking in particular is very, very powerful. Oftentimes as organizers, we are out putting out fires, we're going farm to farm. You know, we go to Leamington, our phones don't stop, people hear that we're there. We're seeing so many things along the way. We don't have a chance many times to stop and process what is happening. And we don't have a chance to stop and to also document everything that we're seeing. So having a camera there witnesses all of these complexities of how policy affects the daily lives of people. So filmmaking amplifies the stories and the resilience of workers in ways that other media it doesn't have like the full power to do so. Film reaches a wider audience. It is very challenging to do all the organizing work and also have the camera there, but we need to create those spaces and to navigate all of those complexities in order to have these films that are going to be here longer than we are going to be here. So it's part of documenting the history and the nation-making of Canada Films like Migrant Dreams, El Contrato, is a testament to all of those workers who didn't make it onto the mainstream, who didn't make it onto, you know, academic texts, who didn't make it onto history textbooks, but we have to create alternative forms to have the voices of our people, of, you know, marginalized communities be amplified and be heard.
0: What do you see coming up, both for Justice for Migrant Workers as an organization and in terms of hopes and expectations for the film?
1: This summer is going to be a very action-packed summer for us at Justicia for Migrant Workers. We're starting our campaign, Harvesting Freedom. You can find us online, harvestingfreedom.org. We hope to walk from Leamington, Ontario, which is a tomato capital of Canada, all the way to Ottawa and demand status for workers so that they can assert their rights their full humanity, without being deported, without being subjected to all of these layers of exploitation. And for workers that are so needed in Canada that we depend on so much for the food we consume, these workers are needed and they should be here with status where they cannot be disposed of and thrown away. We're hoping to mobilize several communities across rural Ontario to host us when we're walking all the way to Ottawa We're hoping, you know, more Canadians will join us in countering the divide-and-conquer tactics. And we have also many cases having to do with racial profiling of migrant workers. And we're also continuing to work with migrant workers who are in crisis situations.
2: So what do I hope the documentary will do? The documentary shows how workers live, oftentimes in deplorable living conditions that look a lot more like a refugee camp than what you would expect, workers' quarters in a farm in Canada. The documentary shows workers who spoke back against unsafe pesticide spraying without protection and then were fired. And the documentary primarily follows a group of women who were under the control of a recruiter who was extracting money from them and the women workers decided to resist the control of the recruiter to fight back, and they showed how there's possibilities for radical dissent in a system of this extreme social control. At Hope, Mark and Dreams is used as a tool for organizing, for mobilizing, for educating, and then for fighting back, and to also question the very concept of citizenship itself. Nations are imaginary constructs. They're built on this idea of a we, and then they're enforced by material realities, you know, border checkpoints, border guards, visas, and passports. But it's cultural tools that really reinforce and glue people's beliefs and anchor people into the sense of belonging to a nation. And I think all of these cultural tools can be used as well to question the very construction of a Canada and documentary as a cultural tool, works very much in the imagination by starting to bring in some critical questions about what is a citizen and why would citizens' rights triumph over a non-citizen's rights? And does that make sense on a fundamental level? But also asking the very question of why have migrant labor programs expanded so exponentially and how do migrant labor programs work hand in hand with immigration regulations and rules to redesign what Canada looks like today and very much restricting the entry of racialized bodies of working class people to the global south. And it's personally led me on a bigger question about border politics and border imperialism. Nationalism itself takes away our humanity and border politics reinforces this dehumanizing lens and actually perpetuates a fear. A fear that, you know, at least it's not me. And that same kind of fear, I think, exists in our economies. At least I have a part-time job where I have some benefits. At least it's not me. And I think people who operate out of fear are living in a compromised world. And I hope Martin Green starts opening people's ideas to the imagination of what is possible of radical possibilities.
0: You have been listening to my interview with organizer Evelyn Collada of Justice for Migrant Workers and filmmaker Min Sook Lee, whose newest film, Migrant Dreams, premieres at the Hot Docs International Film Festival in Toronto on May Day. To learn more about Migrant Dreams, go to migrantdreams.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows,